Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of Folklore, Food and Fairy Tales, where I met with Emma Kay and interviewed her about her new book, The History of Herbalism, Cure, Cook and Conjure. Emma is a postgraduate historian, archaeologist and former senior museum worker, as well as the author of 13 history books and a prolific collector of Kitchenalia. She's written articles including for BBC Food, Lancashire Life, BBC History Magazine, Times Literary Supplement, Victorian Review, Lancashire Evening Post, and is a member of the Writers Guild of Great Britain. She's also contributed to historic research for a number of television production companies and appeared as a guest expert at shows for the BBC, Channel 4 and several documentaries for KBS Korean Television. She is featured regularly on BBC Radio and delivered talks and demonstrations at a variety of events, including both the Bath and Stroud Literary Festivals. We have a lovely chat about the book and um, a few other things as well. I hope you enjoy this interview. I really enjoyed talking with Emma and the book is absolutely fascinating. Hello, um, Emma. This is Emma Kay. Um, Welcome to the podcast. Um, She's here to talk about her fantastic new book, The History of Herbalism. Oh, I am indeed. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. Again, it's great. It's really lovely Um, and always good to chat to you um and yeah thank you for um promoting my book and wanting to talk about it no it's Great. wonderful everyone should everyone should read it I, I was I was hooked and I mean I know a reasonable amount about herbalism and herbs anyway but actually it takes you down some interesting different directions so it was wonderful oh, it's made me do oh. more reading so it's great oh great I'm glad to hear that Rachel um, as I said, I said I know a little bit about herbalism. I'm not a herbalist, although I do have um, a friend who is a qualified medical herbalist and had to do sort of many years worth of study to get there. Um, yeah. But this is such like a huge topic. I mean, one thing is, how did you decide what to leave out? Uh, yeah, good point. It was it was really difficult thinking about it because I, you know, I'd love to have gone down that route where you know you look at Middle Eastern, you look at um, you know Chinese, you look at Native American herbs, you know, all those things that I really wanted to kind of go down that road. But you know, I covered a little bit of those especially in the sort of recipe bit at, at the end, but um, and in the A to Zs. But really, it had to be. I had to kind of make it more of a sort of a focus on on Britain, to be honest. Um, and that's kind of my uh, that's my audience, I suppose. And I suppose, you know, I had to, in some way I needed to pare it down. And and uh, so more of the focus and emphasis is on, um, you know, British history. But, you know, there are um, lots of other bits that are pulled in from globally as well so um so yeah so that's why it's, but it but also all the different aspects and elements of herbs it was really hard like you know just I wanted to talk about the people you know there are so many interesting people and um especially when you start looking at all those pioneering women of the kind of 19th century that you know uh that were out traveling all around the world particularly like um is it uh Marion North she was amazing. I mean, she went everywhere, like, you know, on her own. Um, Japan, Brazil, California, Singapore, you know, she went all over the place. Um, and a woman on her own in the, you know, kind of mid 
1800s uh, was quite brave, I think, um, to be out there exploring, looking for new plant lives, painting it. She had a good relationship with Kew, um, Kew Gardens, and so she'd send like samples and things. But I mean, just, you know, just her, just that one story, uh, you know, and all the other stories went, you know, right from the beginning, when you go back and look at from the 1500s and all the early writers and things. And of course, I love Culpepper and Parkinson and all those kind of people. So, uh, you know, so I guess what I thought was I like the people element. I like I like to talk about a bit of the magical element and the culinary element and, uh, you know, the, the sort of medicinal. So I sort of stuck to those kind of areas because I thought otherwise it's just going to get silly. And, you know, it, it's, it just it will turn into a monster. And I think there is such scope to do that. Um, you know, in fact, there's a book in every single one of those areas. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I really wanted, it was really important for me to make the distinction between herbs and spices as well, because, you know, traditionally they always get lumped together as a herbal, as a, you know, in a, but they're very different beasts. So the, you, if you're looking for spices, you won't find it in, in the book. I'm afraid. Oh, no, it's right. We can go, go get another book about spices. I think, that, yeah. Yeah, like <laughs> exactly. you said, it's big enough on its own without sort of mentioning it. I don't like to mention coriander because it, it's that whole thing because it obviously being the seeds are a spice where the, yeah. the, the leaves and the, yeah, yeah, and the yeah. roots are a herb. Yeah. But there's not many that sort of cover both of them, is there? I think that's probably the only no, one. No, no, there's a few. But, um, and, I, and I have included sort of, you know, things like flowers and yeah. other plant life and, and even some barks and stuff like that because, you know, the World Health Organization sort of lists all those things yeah. under herbs as well. So, yeah. you know, um, uh, so I have included quite a lot of things that people might think, well, that's flower. But actually, yeah. you know, I, I, I've, I've called it, it, well, I've not called it, it is it's, it's a herb. So, yeah, that was a bit difficult. And sometimes you come across something and you go, oh, glass, that's a spice. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so that, that was basically the rationale for how I kind of, you know, one thing that I thought was really interesting was that um, you mentioned that English midwives were forbidden to provide medicine, um, especially in the form of herbal cures to their patients. Um, from your research that you were doing, did you find that they abided by the law or was it a question of a bit, bit of lip service? Well, I mean, it's really interesting. If you, you know, if you look at the much bigger picture in terms of midwives, that during when the kind of medieval period, there's an awful lot of misogyny. Um, right across Europe, you know, um, and a lot of that has to do with the kind of growth in Christianity. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's that, that whole kind of thing about uh, Eve being the one that tempted Adam and, you know, ruined it all by, you know, biting the apple and all the rest of it. And so that seemed to linger in men's kind of psyches for a long time. And women were hugely persecuted as a consequence. We all know about all the famous witch trials and everything. Yeah. Um, and at the heart of it was the fact that women were, you know, um, were temptresses, they were, you know, they were bad. They were the ones that, you know, created chaos. So, um, if you were a midwife, it was even worse in a way, because, you know, if you were delivering a child that had a disability or, or died in childbirth, then, of course, it was instant. You were instantly marked as someone yeah. who had, you know, witchy um, uh, um, 
you know, the, the, the reason why that happened was because you were using black magic or something. So, so it was just, that's kind of the context of the midwives, but, and in the um, 15th century, uh, Henry V ordered uh, all female practitioners of medicine to be banned, that was it. So um, and mid midwifery was such a popular profession for so many women, well, for obvious reasons, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I don't know whether that actually stopped them. I'm assuming it didn't. I think there's a lot of backstreet practices and also people with money that could afford it and it kind of carries on, but in a quiet sort of way. Yeah. But then when you come into the um, 1500s, uh, you had to get a license yeah. to become a practicing yeah. midwife. Uh, and that's in a way that was quite good yeah. because you, you had to, you were sort of monitored and you ended up having to sort of have like an apprenticeship to some, yeah. to an existing midwife. And you had to get really good references from people of good character in the community and stuff like that. So it probably wheedled down a lot of the, you know, um, less salubrious kind of uh, midwives from the quality, you know, um, and, but yeah, I, I mean, I think it's an interesting thing, isn't it? That, that whole thing is a really interesting practice. Mm. Um, and and, the, and the, the level of persecution directed at women. And I guess, yeah, that sort of comes, sits sort of within it. Um, and there was a, there was a, of course, a text that was published in the 1400s, I think, which was called uh, The Hammer of Witches. It was published in Germany. Yeah. yeah. And that, that was a, a really damning text, mm. a text that, that kind of, um, uh, it, it made women out to be these dreadful creatures. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so and that's when the sort of the witch hunting sort of started yeah. and all the rest of it. So, so yeah, mm. women had a really bad time of it for, you know, hundreds of years, really, yeah. uh, being persecuted. Yeah, James I didn't help either, did he? Um, he was not a not a fan no. of witches. Women have never had a good have it, had it good, have they? Really, I think that's probably we can probably leave no, it sum, summarize no, it up never. in that. Um, never really. I was really fascinated by the really close links between the mandrake and witchcraft, which I have to be honest, I did not know about. And I just <laughs> everyone loves the mandrake. What, what, really, what really got to me was because I've always obviously you know about like the doctrine of signatures which they used to I mean if people don't know what that is yeah, yeah but, but people would look and see something that looked like a nose and think ah if that looks like my nose that will treat my nose and that That's was the it. thing That's and it. I wondered yeah, yeah, yeah. whether that was uh, whether that was why or whether there's another reason why oh, it was so gosh. involved I just, I, I'm yeah. not, I'm just not well, expecting I mean, you to come up with a specific answer for that but it just yeah intrigued me no I mean I think I think I think that whole kind of doctrine of signatures went on for centuries. Yeah. You know, that was like that was a very powerful thing. And it, you know, it wasn't just what resembled that, you know, I mean it was it was kind of colours as well. You know, like a, if a herb was red, then it could help with the heart. And if a if it was yellow, like a dandelion, it could help cure jaundice, you know. There was this just really kind of strange sort of relationship yeah. between you know nature and um uh and and medicine um and i and i do think it you know and i think mandrakes are kind of quite central to that because i mean they just look like a small person yeah. 
So you can imagine, can't you? I mean, uh, I mean, it was probably used as well. Not probably, it was used as a kind of like, like as a pocket. Yeah. If I say more, you know, people would understand voodoo. So if you have a a pop, it was like a small doll in, in that was kind of supposed to be shaped in the form of something, yeah. and then you'd be able to work spells and rituals around yeah. that. But also, mandrake had well, it had many many qualities, but it was also used as a, a great fertility aid as well. People put it under their beds and things like that. Um, and it was, um, I think. It was it was sort of considered to be sentient, you know, like a living thing, and um, you know, I, I don't know if you've watched Harry Potter films, but yeah, I've seen the first uh, couple. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> you know, the mandrake, the screaming mandrakes, yeah. when they sort of pull, they pull them out, and they scream, yeah. but they do actually make a noise yeah. when you take them out of the huh. ground. I think screaming is <laughs> a little bit, you know, of an exaggeration, but I think that that again. This sort of sold that whole story of it as just being this thing that would pull it, this live yeah. creature that would pull it out of the ground. And it became sort of quite sort of sacred. And I know that they sold, they used to sell them in the streets, yeah. you know, in the 16, 1700s. And there was kind of campaigns to get people to stop selling them, you know, because some people did actually have sex, yeah. uh, you know, and it would be like, these are really, these are bad, this is a bad yeah. thing that people are working with these things and conjuring spells and all sorts of yeah. stuff. So, you know, um, but it, it also, people like did lots of studies on it and found mm. out that it really did have, you know, important medicinal value. Yeah. It's um, Benja a man called Benjamin Ward Richardson from the 1880s. I mean, he did lots of studies on it and he consumed it himself and he got like numbness in the tongue and mm. dry mouth and blurred vision and oversensitivity to sound and stuff like that. And he praised it for its anesthetic mm. properties. So he also thought it could relieve tetanus as well. Yeah. But, you know, um, but there were some real, real studies that actually, you know, show that it does, mm. it is it's a narcotic basically. Yeah. and. And yeah, and an anaesthetic. So, um, so it's a, it's a. I think it's 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 up there with one of those kind of plants that I think people still are really intrigued about. Yeah. To be honest, it's a fascinating it's thing. A fun yeah, thing. yeah, they are strange, aren't they? But yeah, um, it, it's not the same. Um, I had to, um, to do it's to do with turnips of all things. And um, when you see the old carved turnips that are historic, they're five hundred years old in museums. Yeah, and they remind, and they look like yeah. people. But really, it's terrifying. It is really weird, isn't it? And there's a there's a Scandinavian thing, isn't it? Is it the kitchen witch? Yeah. Which is um, they used to have the uh, very similar again, just little carved out things, and they just keep them in, you know, for good luck and things like that. But um, and again, this is this other thing that you know sometimes they use for good and sometimes they use for bad and. There's that kind of, you know, it's 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 all over the place, really. Yeah. No... I suppose the only modern sort of comparison would be, I guess it's a dosage thing, isn't it? Isn't that the same as a lot of herbal herbal medicine? Well, with medicine, in fact, yeah. just non-herbal medicine, it's, it's all about dosage, isn't it? So yeah. something can heal and something, but something can kill. And it's all about how much yeah. of it you take, whether you do one or the other. It's not a sort of yeah. all or nothing thing, That's is it? it? Exactly. I mean, I'm, I have no medical it. knowledge yeah. myself, but I know that the two, it's yeah. like... Um, 
digitalis, isn't it, from foxgloves? If you eat a whole foxglove yes. plant, yes. It, because yes. of it's the thing that stimulates your heart, it could kill you. Yeah. However, yeah. if you need small doses, yeah. it can it will help keep your heart going. And obviously, that's the basis for the sort of digitalis in heart medicine. Yeah, I mean, it's actually been used. I think it's been used in uh, trials for epilepsy drugs mm-hmm. and stuff. So, yeah. you know, it has real value. And 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 I think there's a lot of nature that does yeah. provide for us. Yeah you know um yeah in sensible ways yeah. you know um and and i just think it's all out there yeah. it is all out there to be used and yeah. trialed and um you know but it, it is as you say it is all about the quantities yeah. and you could very easily die if you took anything yeah. so i wouldn't recommend going out foraging no, for foxes, leave them alone i've just done a thing on on yeah. them from a from a folkloric perspective as well just, just leave them alone <laughs> folk all right fairies okay. they're, yeah. they're a fairy plant they're one of the oops, have a they are a fairy plant, plant. Yeah. yeah and so um yeah. they've and they were, i think one of the things was that foxes naughty fairies gave them to foxes so that they could hide their poor sounds so they can be soft when they're poached. oh really i think, it's, oh, I think that's from that ireland before. i think off the top of my head but yeah no, fascinating oh that's nice. leave, leave the foxgloves alone leave them where they are and if you have a heart problem go to your doctor yeah, yeah. i think that's the uh, yeah, yeah definitely exactly the, yes. good advice yeah good advice so moving on from that i think that when many people think of historic herbalists we have like either like a rosy picture of like a wise woman in a village who's like the healer and lives in a cottage with a like a herb and kitchen garden and there's that sort of person or there are like apothecaries like concocting cures in in like slightly sinister a little bit um back rooms with lots of pipes and things and you know what I mean it's like yeah that's and the, the thing you think and so yeah. but actually from from your book particularly and I think I sort of had this vague knowledge anyway it seems there were a lot of frauds and a lot of quacks that were using this sort of picture to take advantage of sick people what picture is closer to reality like all of the frauds little woman in cottage man in back room or is there is, it, is the truth somewhere in between I think it's a really difficult thing because Yes, there are a lot of unscrupulous people out there, but there were also a lot of people that were trying to do good but didn't really know what they were doing. I mean, you know, I think it... And when I say they don't know what they were doing, I mean, literally, they, you know, they thought they knew what they were doing, but it might have been bad. Um, Well, it was bad often, you know, but... And I think that we've also got to remember that there are lots of incidents and cases of for every bad piece of malpractice that you read about, there's like quite a few good as well. And just to give one example, um, there was um, uh, a wise woman, or they used to call them yarbs or simples, or and she um, and, and most you know most villages had one anyway. You know every village would have had one, but she lived in um, uh, in Rutland, and her name was Amelia Wood. Woodcock and she uh, had this incredible reputation uh, like you know nationwide not just locally so the the village was completely overrun it must have been such a wealthy village actually so it's completely overrun with people coming from all over to come and see her and spend time with her because she got in particular she got a really good reputation for um, uh, for healing cancer patients. Right. And this is in the 1700s, mind. Mm. But, um, and she was called uh, the wise woman of Wing because the village was called Wing and it was in Rutland. 
So she, um, so there were people queuing around the block, you know, so night and day to get, you know, for the, for, to see this herbal practitioner. And she must have done something right because the buzz about her and the amount of positive, you know, kind of feedback and the, the, the amount of people that she helped suggests that she did have something. Yeah. yeah. And I do think there are many, many women and men that have that ability. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's no doubt in my mind, like I just mentioned earlier, that herbs can help. There are, they, are, they really can help yeah. with some things. And, um, and I do think she was kind of quite gifted, very knowledgeable. Um, and um, yeah, so I think, I think, and also you've got to remember when you go a bit further on and you look at say like the 1800s, um, there are a lot of herbalists that were operating that didn't charge for their services. They'd only charge for the herbs. So they get the herbs and then charge the herbs. And then, you know, because they were a good alternative to a, to a physician, which most people couldn't afford, you know? So um, it wasn't all unscrupulous. Yeah. And, you know, so people did genuinely, you know, a lot of herbalists did genuinely want to help yeah. and not profit hugely from yeah. it, Yeah. you know? So, um, but and I, I also think that a lot of those apothecaries and those physicians, uh, you know, um, uh, were probably kind of quite conceited as well in some ways. I think they sort of they thought that what they were doing was very important. Yeah. Um, where, whereas I think there's also a lot of publics who were probably a lot more humble yeah. and were more about, you know, working with nature and helping people where they could. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I I've, I'm, I look at historic remedies in cookbooks and I use them. I do a, a newsletter. Just one moment, just a second. Sorry about that. Um, the, um, the thing with, with it is that, I, as I said, I, I look at these um, remedies and I use it as, I, have, I do like a roughly weekly newsletter now um, via Substack. Yeah. Um, looking at, because I end up researching a lot of stuff for my podcast that doesn't fit the podcast, but I think it's quite cool and interesting yeah. and I try and like, use the newsletters as sort of... Oh, that's a good idea, there. yeah. And Remedies is one of those things and I find them absolutely fascinating. Um, and they use herbal ones and they're written down and they're obviously, but some of the ones you read, you think, oh God, it would be better to die of the yeah. thing what than take that? the cure. Yeah. But one of them was a, <laughs> one of them was a small, a really small thing. And um, what did it say? Oh yeah, um, it was like um, to remove, like to, to remove an earwig in the ear. So, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not funny about insects. I'm happy with spiders. I warn the spiders in our house about the cat who likes to eat them. You know, I'm like, I, I just doesn't bother me about that. Just that was it. No, 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 no earwigs. No earwigs oh. in ears. Basically, you drowned it. I think was the principle with this weird concoction. Yeah. That sounds that that sounds common yes. sense to yes. me. I would, yeah. If you didn't have any tweezers or anything, yeah. then. Stick some liquid in your ear and get rid of yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stay away from earwigs at all opportunities. I think that's the. Uh... <laughs> but yeah, no earwigs, no earwigs. I'm going to leave it alone now because I keep thinking of them. But I always thought that uh, it was earwigs. a it was a, a thing that earwigs are called earwigs because but they don't ever go near ears. But clearly they weren't enough near ears they, for somebody cleaning, to have yes. a remedy for it. So absolutely, yeah. yes, yeah. yeah. I mean, there was a remedy for everything, yeah. wasn't there? Yeah. You know. Yeah. 
and 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 if you think about it now we take so so many things for granted but you know before there was anything people would just yeah. just relied on whatever they could find yeah. in nature to help yeah. you know you know we um it is very easy to just kind of be quite complacent yeah. about the world that we live in compared to how people and if you think about it no one would ever have survived we wouldn't be here yeah. probably if it wasn't for herbs no. because people had illnesses and they yeah overcame them yeah. you know so I always think if you think that we're all alive now all of us that are alive now I mean we're lucky enough to have yeah. modern medicine but to have got to here our ancestors must have been pretty tough Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. They must have been really tough, but also, you know, they they probably had illnesses, but maybe were were you know spared death, you know, before their time because they may have something. They may have used something from nature that helped them. So we were just talking about like, the realities of herbalism and and how um, essentially the fact that we're alive now means that our ancestors must have had some grasp of herbalism in order to sort of treat the illnesses we had before we had sort of modern medicine yeah um so i i think without going into too much detail what i found fascinating was reading a book and it was a fiction book but it made me go and read something else was the whole germ theory thing Ah, and how people used to like the fact that there weren't no one knew there were germs and so that doctors would go from one patient with one illness and then to another patient with another illness yeah and and they wouldn't wash their hands and they would t- and you think no wonder people died in hospital I no know. wonder it was worse than being in your own home because at least if the doctor came into you he probably would have washed his hands on the way it there, is you know? really fascinating that whole germ theory it was it lister in the end that, yeah i think so yeah yeah, yeah. um were, and you I, you sometimes think well did they actually have some sense of it? Because I have read things that go way back, like into the medieval yeah. period, where they did, they were, they did try to keep things clean because they they realized that there was some sort of correlation between yeah. cleanliness, you know, that is and illness or disease yeah. or keep, you know, they did try to keep things clean. So there was obviously some inherent kind of idea yeah. of it, but I don't think people yeah. realized just how important it was. Um, yeah no you know until several hundred years later um and uh it's the whole that whole story is so fascinating isn't it i think the fiction books that pushed me in the direction the reason they were talking about it was they were from new mother to new mother and what if one had got birth feeder and the next one and then they would all die and there was no necessity for anybody to die and they all did because they moved from one person to the other without and just yeah it's so sad isn't it it's so sad yeah. So needless for so long. But I found the Chelsea Physic Garden fascinating. I didn't really know about it before. Mm. Um, I think I've I just I've read a fiction book that I think refers to an you know an original, but that's a fiction book. And I think the yeah. actual I think it's based on the Chelsea Physic Garden rather than yeah. actually something that existed separately. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, I think, and I, I'm. I have my hand up if other people everyone goes what do you mean I've heard of the Chelsea Physic Garden I will understand that I'm wrong but for me I, I didn't know that about much about it and I know other people who I've spoken to didn't really know much about it um, and so like despite the history of that fascinating place it's maybe less well known than something more modern and infamous that's like the Poison Garden at Alnwick which some people think is ancient it isn't really ancient at all it's only been there 20 years I think yeah, I didn't really know about Alnwick at all. Yeah. I, I really didn't know. I mean, I, I know I kind of knew of it, but it was it sort of, 
I don't know. When was it? Was it wasn't two thousand or something? Relatively, like that, yeah. It's yeah. It's at the campus. I think decided it? to yeah. Yeah. She wanted to have a thing for it. I mean, it just sounds like a wonderful place to go. Absolutely it does. amazing. And I read another article. I must. I've got to start writing down when I read things. Um, that okay. talked about all gardens are poison gardens. It was going back to yeah. our discussion yes, about so. dosages. All gardens, all herb yeah. gardens are poison gardens. It's just yeah. that specifically, I'll make say this, which highlight and do different things. Um, yeah. But that, that was, do you think that herbs' ability to harm have made them more fascinating in our world, which doesn't rely on them for health? I imagine that people wouldn't have found them as fast, the fact that it could hurt you as fascinating when you depended on them to keep you alive. Yeah. Whereas now we don't really depend on them to keep us alive. We maybe use them as a, in, in, the, in our Western sort of, in, our, in the UK, I think it's different in different parts of the world. But for yeah. us, we don't rely on it to keep us well, do we? As, maybe as a top up to keep us as part of our well being as opposed to what we use to treat us. I wonder if it's to do with the fact that we're fascinated because, because you know, harm is almost, it's always better than than health almost you know it's more fascinating yeah. to people I think we're also quite fascinated with, with yeah with poison and poisonous plants and things like that aren't we it's you know yeah. there's um and um, what we just touched on before about the fact that a really toxic plant can also help you as well can also be a, a medicine yeah. in a smaller dose and that's quite it's a weird thing isn't it that's something that was created in nature to kill and yet yeah. can also keep you alive at the same time. How yeah. weird is that? You know, you look yeah. at something like belladonna that can, you know, can yeah. kill you. I mean, that will just kill you. But it can yeah. also sort of cure yeah. stomach ulcers and things like that. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it, and it's been used in treatment, um, you know, um, I think there's a lot of research into it to be used in Parkinson's and stuff like that. So it's, yeah. You know, it, I, it, I, and I, but I also think, there's this strange kind of, I think we, I think as hu- as, as animals, you know, I think we kind of, it's, we, we live along instinct every day, if you think about it. And our ancestors had to do that um, even more so, you know. Um, I've been writing a book, which uh, is in the editing process at the moment, which is all about Anglo-Saxon history which has been a huge thing for me. Um, And, uh, you know, it's made me think in a completely different way about about food and all sorts of, and and history, to be honest. Um, It's where it all started. And it was fascinating me to read and to find out that um, many Anglo-Saxon people, or should we say early medievalists, whatever you want to say, because that's... um, yeah. They t- completely disregarded mushrooms. They didn't eat them during that period yeah. because they yeah. were so worried about the fact that one could kill you and one was going to be tasty, you know. And yeah. and I think that feeling that we're all kind of vulnerable when it comes mm-hmm. to nature, um, I think that's a really real and powerful thing um, yeah. that, you know, we could literally just skip off into the forest, pick something, eat it and die, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, and I guess, you know, uh, sorry, I don't know why it came to mind. I was just thinking of Snow White then, but that, you know, yes. the apple. Yeah, no, I have, the I'm apple. there now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is I mean, apple, it's, but yeah. it's it, if you think that, that's quite a powerful thing that Disney did there, wasn't it? Um, because yeah. I think it was something we all kind of relate to. Um, yeah. A natural, beautiful thing can actually be quite poisonous and kill us. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, you know, and um, and it's inherent in all of us, that fear of, yeah. of, of plants and nature, as well as yeah. loving it at the same time and embracing it. So, mm. yeah, I think it's a bit that it's, it's I used to live by the sea. And when yeah. you live by the sea, you see the power of something. Yeah. But yeah, when a quiet day, it's beautiful and it's just lovely. And then on the, you see it and nature's like that, isn't it? It's, it's got the all of its of moods it. and all of its, you know. Yeah, yeah, the force of it is a very powerful thing. And, and you know, we are part of that, you know, as, yeah. as, as animals, we are part of yeah. that. So, yeah. um, and I think that's why we are fascinated by these things. And we, we yeah. do love the idea of putting life and death very close to each other. Because yeah. let's face it, we're all going to die anyway. <laughs> so yeah. there is that fascination, yeah. you know, yeah. um, and it's integral to us, isn't it? Um, yeah. Must have been yeah. even more powerful for our ancestors. Must have been even yeah. more of an overwhelming feeling all the time. Well, yeah, because it was closer to you, wasn't it? Than exactly. it is for us. I mean, exactly. One of the th- one of the things we talk about in in and I sort of learned about an interest was we talk about cancer and everyone says that cancer's on the rise. And obviously, it's a terrible, terrible disease. Mm. But the reason cancer's on the rise is because we're still alive. When you people didn't live past 40, mm. you didn't get as much cancer because cancer is something, obviously there were, ter- there, were, there were things that aren't, when people are younger, there yeah. were some terrible young people's cancers. But generally cancer happens to people once they get to middle age. It's when their body's regeneration process doesn't work properly for yeah. one reason or another. Um, and so, but you, it, when you were dying because you couldn't eat or you were dying from illness or you were dying from war, you didn't have chance to get old enough to get cancer. Yeah. So actually, the reason that we have can- more cancer is because we've survived long enough to get it. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So it's probably. one of the sort of theories with it. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. I mean, obviously, exposure to chemicals and all of those things as well is yeah. a different part of it. Yeah. But actually, yeah. the generalized number is because you know we that's what's happened. We didn't die of something else first, so now we get cancer. But I mean, I, I, but I'm also a really strong believer in that diet. And the changes in diet, especially post Second World War, um, yeah. have had a huge impact on yeah. diseases and the growth of diseases because yeah. I'm very big. I think I've mentioned this before. I can't remember if I mentioned it to you or not, but I'm a big believer in the relationship between gut and brain and um, yeah. uh, and also the bacteria that's inside you and yeah how that bacteria can 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 manifest itself into really negative things so i do think and i think herbs can help with that as well i think there's lots of cleansing and purging herbs that can sort of help with that but yeah i do think diet is a big part of the issue of modern you know um maladies and the fact that we are all so we do get ill more because we just eat really badly and it's in our guts and that gut bacteria passes from mother to child and we also forget that it's a very real thing you know so but yeah so I think there's lots lots of different reasons why we get more um diseases now than we did it's a big Um, it's a really big old argument isn't it to be honest it is why do you think herbal remedies and potions are associated so closely with witchcraft and magic we've talked about them for health but do you think it's something to do with the amount of ritual that was involved in cutting and preparing them and that's where the associations came from or do you think it was from results I think you've got to remember that uh, it's a really ancient practice so um herbs have always been aligned to planets and stars so whichever planet governed a herb that same planet ruled the star sign um that was associated with it so 
if you take um, my star sign, which is Libra, it's ruled yeah. by the planet Venus. Yeah. And one herb that falls under the planet Venus is mint. So yeah. it would have once been thought that mint would have been something that would be really beneficial to me. So you grow it and it's because it'd be good for me. So at one point, everything was aligned. So you've got stars, planets, nature, everything. You'd even go out at a certain time of night to pick some plants or only when the moon was waxing or waning or whatever. So I think these kind of, this sort of encouraged a sense of magic and folklore around all of that. And The idea of ritual is all tied in with very much with kind of Anglo, going back to the Anglo-Saxons again. When you look at the first, the very first kind of documents that we have of, of, of herb remedies, it's something called Bald's Leech Book. I don't know if you've ever heard of that yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. So um, most, a lot of people do if they know, know about folklore and herbs and stuff, but they were um, sort of written in the 10th century um, and it records all the different, but and it was they were actually translated by um, an academic called uh, Cocaine in the 19th century. So um, he spent years kind of tra- translating all of these wonderful leech books. And just to clarify, leech was basically something that just helped. It was like a remedy or something like that. So nothing to do with the leech that you stuck on your arm. Uh, so, um, and this, these, these books, these leech books are full of all the different weird kind of rituals that were around herbs. So, you know, you'd put chants with herbs, you'd um, incantations, all kinds of things. There's a very famous, um, uh, Incantation called the Nine Charm, um, and that was um, uh, so you've got mugwort, mugwort, plantain, lamb's crest, betony, chamomile, nettle, crab apple, chervil, and fennel, and they are considered to be kind of well, they were bought from from uh, Saxons to Britain. Mm. Uh, that particular charm was because it was associated with Woden or Odin, as it were. Uh, and it was the ultimate spell to help you uh, heal yourself. So these herbs were ground down. It was, a, it was a really long process. So they were ground down kind of individually and then kind of mixed together and then mixed with sort of apple juice and other things. And then all the time that they were being ground down, these incantations would be spoken. And then when it finally came to giving the person that was ill the, um, the, the remedy, they would then whisper the incantation into each ear of the person that they were giving the remedy. So that's just one example of, um, and you can see, how that is quite magical in a way isn't it yeah. so yeah. um and i think there there are so many different examples of those kind of ritualistic ways of of yeah. working with herbs and um and uh you know preparing herbs and then you know the giving of the herbs and everything that it it's you can see how when you link it together again with with the stars and the planets and the the you know nature how everything suddenly ties into this very magical world you know and it's let's face it we were all pagans once so uh you know and 
paganism is full of magic and uh yeah. and uh yeah and so that's why i'm so fascinated with that period as well that early medieval period is when it all yeah. sort of all sort of started and all those other we also forget that at that time during the 7th 8th 9th 10th century you know britain was trading and exploring all over the place you know yeah. and we were bringing ideas back from the middle east and wider European ideas and things, you know, and yeah. adding to all those strange charms, um, you know. So I think, <clears throat> yeah, I think that's why it's sort of, we yeah. sort of associate it with, you know, with yeah. with witchcraft and it because, you know, you're saying a spell yeah. to help you get better. Yeah, I suppose it's all to do with intent, isn't it? Which is what magic is, really. You know, spells are about intent. They're about focusing your intent. Yeah. And that's what the, the incantations are for. So, yeah. yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, we, we've talked for lots of about lots of things, and it's been so fascinating. And I could talk for hours, um, but I appreciate we both have to move away from this. And also, <laughs> um, people need to go and read your book. That's what they need to go and do. Yay, they need to be tempted yay. by this to go and read your book. <laughs> so I'm just going to read one final question, which is a bit perhaps more lighthearted. Um, what's your favourite herb? And do you, what does it fit into? Does it go, is it, is it part of a, some, is it your favourite because it's a remedy or is it your favourite yeah. because of flavour or, or is it both? Or, you, know. you know, I can't say one. I can't say one. But I will say that I'm a big user of chamomile. I have chamomile every day, usually in tea. Uh, I find it really relaxing. Um, I'm a big user of feverfew, which actually looks like, um, I don't know if you know, it looks like a big daisy. But uh, feverfew is the only thing I had uh, a few years ago. I had real problems with uh, migraines and feverfew was the only thing that stopped it, yeah, which is amazing. incredible, really. You know, I yeah. threw away all those migraleve and, you know, Panadol and stuff and feverfew, yeah. and I still use it now. Um, yeah. Lavender, we use a lot in this house. We put it on our pillows at night. I grow yeah. it. It's, a, it. you know, starflower is great for hormones uh you know women's hormones um and the i will say that the one herb that i eat all the time and i will put it in just about anything is parsley i think it's a really underrated <laughs> herb it is yeah. fantastic it can brighten up the most rubbish boring of dishes really quickly um so i i, I eat a lot of it i grow it and i grow thyme as well and i also eat basil probably every week so I make fresh basil pesto yeah. so I try and grow that as well so so there's a lot there yeah. <laughs> but what about you Lovely what's your favorite herb what do you use rosemary I do love rosemary. I mean there are lots of picks rosemary but I like rosemary for both I love the flavor of it I love what you taste of it the folklore of rosemary is just fascinating um yeah. and also it's really it makes your hair really shiny if you use a tonic of um <laughs> Dark hair, yeah, dark hair specifically because it makes it darker. I am naturally. This is mine. Well, you, the viewers, listeners cannot see us. I have, I have got very dark hair with a lot of grey to it. So, um, (laughs) because I don't dye my hair anymore, but um, for for lots of reasons. But um, yeah, but it it brightens. If you've got dark hair, it makes it really shiny. Um, Mm -hmm. Like um, you just you boil it in in things, and you um, Alice Fowler, I want to say the gardener. She was the one that oh, right. um, I read about. Um, read about. She just had did a modern herbal, but she did it. And yeah, if you just do it in, um, and you keep it in the fridge because obviously it's water and 
a herb yeah. so you don't want to leave it out um but yeah, yeah but if you use it in a spray bottle and just spray it with your hair after you've washed your hair oh, and then just comb it out gosh yeah, i didn't know that about i know it's very good for memory um but uh I didn't know it was good for your hair so that that's a great rosemary is a lovely herb actually I I do use it in a lot of tomato based dishes and uh of course we didn't have it until the Romans you know it was the Romans that introduced it to us so uh, yeah so um I mean we again you could talk all day about that just that subject you know the fact that really we were very limited in this country until the Romans came along um that's very true and planted hundreds Um, of new herbs yeah and also garlic. That was an interesting one. I yes. read about that as well. The history of garlic. Um, actually, reason my last my last episode, but one as I'm recording this with you, uh-huh. um, was petrocinella, which is the forerunner to Rapunzel. It's loads better. It's, okay. it's loads better because it's um, essentially petrocinella is the story of Rapunzel. If you take a if you if Rapunzel is not a sort of very weak character whose destiny is controlled by other people so it was um it's a Basile story there's more history than that I mean some people say that Rapunzel in the theory goes back to the Shahnameh in Persia which is even old obviously Um, but the one that I did the story of is Basile so it's um I want to say 17th century maybe 16th century I should know because he's one of my absolute favorites they're written in Neapolitan dialect and the person that's translated them in the new version. There are older one versions, but the 19th century ones were translated. 19th century men weren't very good at translating what they considered to be, I'm going to go with interesting language and interesting themes. There's some stuff in that you wouldn't read this to your children, put it this way. Um, <laughs> but they are essentially, the, the story of Petrosnella is, she she is the whole thing with it's her mum and it's an ogress as opposed to a witch but that changes oh, throughout history yeah. who um, essentially captures her but the ogress teaches Petrosinella about magic and Petrosinella uses that magic when she escapes with the prince and it's much more yeah. the two of them escaping together for yeah. a life not him sort of being the savior Rescuing, she yeah. saves she saves them from the ogress using oh. acorns she throws an acorn behind and oh, it's the whole right. US, like, so like yeah. a lake appears and then a, you know, actually with the ogress one animals appear and in the end until one eats her sorry spoiler alert the ogress does not win but um then then her prince gets permission from his father to marry her and then they happily ever after because you know it's a fairy story but the um i'd also read it about um nicholas jubber has written a book called the fairy tellers and that i talk about that in that that episode a lot and one of the things he looks at when he looks at Brazile, his female characters are so different to the characters of Grimm and the Emperor and yeah. even like the, the French female um, sort of storytellers who created the, the literary fairy tale. Um, but the Grimm ones as well, they're not all of them, but most of their heroines are very meek and they're quite mild. And, and whereas the Basile heroines, obviously they're sat, still sat within a patriarchy. Basile was part of a patriarchy. However, the women in his stories argue back and they do what they can to make their circumstances fit right. you know their life you know what I mean yeah. they're still yeah. women and they're still second-class yeah. citizens and they still have to pay attention to what other people say but they do their best to get that situation changed yeah. you know if they need to and what if the stories that we hear now he put it much better than me but what if the stories that you hear now were that all you saw now were Basile stories with those bold heroines who fought for what they wanted yeah. rather than what Grimm and Perot made them, which we see now as Disney and we see them as the maybe yeah. the more modern ones, not so much, but the traditional ones. What would the world be like if that is the women that 
women had to look, or children and girls had to look yeah. up to. No, rather than the, yeah. I think it's interesting how, because obviously it's always been men that have pushed forward, you know. I mean, I, I mean, I know I mentioned Disney before. It's just that I just find him... I found the way that he did that quite fascinating because no one had done that before. No. You know, he was no. the first person to do that. And the fact yeah. that he just made the, with the apple, it just, it's just that yeah. one of those film scenes where yeah. it's just such a dramatic thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the poisoned apple. And, 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 and I think, you know, to, to, he was, Disney was obsessed with, um yeah. fairy tales and folklore and things which is why yeah. he recreated so many of them yeah. some of them not so well and you know yeah. some of them were inappropriate but um yeah. but i just think it was the is the fact that it captures the yeah. imagination of people so much you know and and that he carried that on into you know uh, into that modern cultural reference i just think it's really i think yeah. it's really exciting and it would be great if someone took you know yeah. those those older stories that you've yeah. just been talking about and actually yeah. brought them to the screen how yeah. amazing that would be for younger girls to yeah. to see that rather than you know that i mean disney are getting better now i know I keep yeah. going back yeah. to disney but that's the only sort of yeah. 20th century kind of yeah. <laughs> you know more modern contemporary thing that i can think of in terms of media yeah and the depiction of fairy tales, yeah. you know, yeah. um, and, and how it would be lovely if someone could actually do it, in, yeah. you know, and go back and yeah. do those those stories yeah. and give, give girls a bit more of a, you don't have to be the princess and the, the, what, yeah. the, the lovely, lovely lady that's rescued all the time, yeah. you know. Well, yeah, one of Brazilo's tales, um, who I've also, con- I've done as, as one of my podcasts, she actually creates, she can't find a man to marry, she doesn't like them, any of them. Her father keeps trying to make her marry people, she doesn't like them. So she says, fine, like, dad, go and get me all these things. And then she comes back with it. And one of them is like um, almonds, ground almonds and sugar and things. And she essentially makes her man out of marzipan find someone who can do the magic and is a prince they're getting married and he gets stolen from her and she goes back she goes and gets him back wow yeah but do you know do you know what i've also just thought when you were saying that is the fact that yeah. she made him out of mars we were talking about the sentient yeah. things that look like people yeah. <laughs> The puppets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she made a full-grown man out of master pan. Is what she did wow. with a bit of rose water thrown in, and yeah, and that, it was it is brilliant. I'm mean, gonna have to say thank you so much, Emma. This has been wonderful. I'm really, really good. I've so enjoyed our talk. Um, it's been fantastic, and um, I'll put the details of the book and where you can get it in the show notes. But everyone should rush out. I think perfect summer reading. You get to learn things and be entertained at the same time. What more do you need on your beach holiday? Ah, oh, that's great. Thank you so much, Rachel, and thanks for having me on again i really appreciate it it's lovely talking to you i could talk to you all day but we better not eh? and so gentle listener we reached the end of another episode of folklore food and fairy tales i really hope you enjoyed my chat with emma and all the details for her website where you can find out more about her and the link to the book will be in the show notes as well as the link to my newsletters i mentioned and all the other usual things if you don't subscribe already and just popped along to listen to this chat with Emma, then I really would appreciate it if you maybe take a look at some of the other episodes and consider whether you'd like to have me delivered every month into your inbox. Thanks again for listening and I hope to welcome you back to future episodes. (laughs) 